I grew up in Southern California, but both of my parents grew up on the East Coast. My parents didn't have much money for travel, so as a result, I grew up with very little contact with my parents' families. When I was a young boy, I met my mother's parents for the first time. It was the summer of 1967. My parents, my older brother and my older sister, and I drove across the country in my dad's 1967 Chrysler Fury 3. When we got to Massachusetts, the three of us kids were split up, and over the next few weeks, we were traded off among various relatives of both of my parents. One day, I was sent to stay with my mother's parents, and my sister, who had just spent a couple days with them, was sent off to another relative. My grandpa, Dubois, was shocked when he learned that I had never had coffee ice cream. And so he put me in his pickup truck to go get some. We stopped at an ice cream stand. What I really wanted was chocolate ice cream, but my grandfather insisted on getting me a cone of coffee ice cream. As we pulled away in his truck, I tried the ice cream, which I found disgusting. Meanwhile, my grandfather counted the change he had just gotten from the young female cashier. Now, I have to admit that when my grandfather wasn't looking, I held the ice cream cone out the window and turned it upside down, dumping the coffee ice cream on the road. As we drove along, my grandfather started to curse. He held the change in his hand, yelling that he'd been cheated that he hadn't gotten all the money back he was supposed to get from the girl. That girl jewed me, he proclaimed. She stole some of my change. We drove on with him continuing to shout about how he had been cheated and yelling that the girl must have been a Jew. Later, when he saw that all I had left of my ice cream cone was the cone, he asked me how it was. The ice cream was great, I told him. That evening, I happened to cross paths with my sister again at another relative's home. My sister was three years older than me, but four years ahead of me in school. As I sat in front of a TV with my sister, I asked her what a Jew was. What's a Jew, she said. Buzzy, you know what a Jew is. A Jew is a Jewish person. Jesus was a Jew. I guess he was, I said. Yeah, Jesus was just a regular guy and he was a Jew, said my sister. But, I said, I don't mean that kind of Jew. It must be one of those words that sounds the same but is really two different words. You mean a homonym, my sister said. Like blood is red, and I read the book. Yeah, I said, that's what I mean. Well, Buzzy, answered my sister, I don't know any other word that sounds like Jew. I mean the kind of Jew, I said, who steals your change. Oh, my sister said thoughtfully, I see. You've been talking to Grandpa Dubois, haven't you? Grandpa believes in Jesus, 
But if Grandpa realized that Jesus was a Jew, he wouldn't know what to think. My sister had already interacted with Grandpa Dubois and had heard him say similar things. She proceeded to tell me all about anti-Semitism and why Grandpa was calling the cashier at the ice cream stand a Jew. It was all news to me. I had grown up going to Catholic schools and was very naive about such things. I simply wasn't familiar with the idea of someone accusing an entire ethnic group of people of being evil or inferior. It was also the first time that I thought about Jesus actually being just a regular Jewish guy. The sisters taught us that he was the Son of God, that he was our Savior, that he was our Lord. But now for the first time, I consider this more complex image of Jesus as both a human and a God. I'm going to get back to my anti-Semitic grandfather. Let's look at a very famous passage. It's from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. There are 13 letters in the New Testament that are attributed to Paul. Some scholars believe that Paul wrote seven of them personally, but that the other six were written by different people in his name. However, the Corinthian letters are in the group that virtually no one questions that Paul truly did write them. Corinth was a major commercial center during the time of Jesus and the apostles. The people there were not Jews. They were what we used to call pagans, people who worshipped a variety of Greek gods. In the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul's writing back to a church that he had established there on his second missionary trip. The church there was filled with moral and doctrinal problems, and Paul is trying to get them to clean up their act. In the second letter to the Corinthians, Paul is writing to tell the people there how glad he is that most of them have changed their ways and have become good Christians. But he's also admonishing the few who have not yet come around to his teachings. He says this, so, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Now, consider this passage. The primary focus is that when we become faithful Christians, we become new people. Our old cells are gone. I'm going to talk about someone who did something wrong and then made a commitment to begin again as a new person in Christ. But first, here's why I wanted to emphasize that Paul really did write these two letters, that they were not written in his name by someone else. You see, there is a second and more subtle message in this passage. Paul seems to be referring to himself when he says that we used to see Jesus as just a man, but now we see him differently in a more complex way. Remember that Paul had at one time been Saul and that he had persecuted Christians. But on the road to Damascus, he was blinded and he met the risen Christ. He learned that the man Jesus was also the Son of God. 
This lesson of seeing Jesus as both a man and a deity is the same lesson I learned as a result of my grandfather's tirade against Jews. But in my case, I was moving from the other direction, and for the first time I was focusing on Jesus as not just the Son of God, but also as a man who was hated for no good reason and who also suffered a gruesome death. And it was too bad that my grandfather didn't understand the vulnerable, purely human side of Jesus. It was a big day of learning for me. As I sat in front of a TV talking to my big sister, I also learned about bigotry and bias. The two lessons, the duality of Jesus and the grim truth about bigotry, are related, of course. Paul was writing about how, if we see Jesus as more than just a man who made wild claims about himself and was crucified as a result, we will be transformed. And in turn, of course, will all be good to all people. This man, who is also God, taught us about universal love and the dangers of hatred. But big lessons aren't always accompanied by big events. Sometimes it's simple things and simple moments that can cause us to learn and to change in major ways. A trip to get an ice cream cone with my grandfather opened up a much bigger world for me, a world that was part evil and part blessed. I learned that he was an anti-Semite, and I learned that Jesus really did come to this planet as a simple human being, and that he did it for me. Now, what about my grandfather? While we were still in that pickup, before I met up with my sister and was taught about bigotry, I offered to count his change for him. He handed it over to me. As I ate my empty cone, I did some arithmetic, and I informed my grandfather that he had gotten exactly what he was supposed to get. He simply shrugged and kept driving. I saw him a day or so after I talked to my sister about homonyms and anti-Semitism. I was back at his place. Thankfully, he did not treat me to coffee ice cream again. I reminded him that he had called that woman a Jew because he thought she had cheated him. I told him that Jesus was a Jew. He didn't say anything for a moment, and then quietly he said, Yeah, I guess I knew that. I wasn't a kid who stood up to adults, and I wasn't trying to challenge my grandfather. I didn't really know him. I was just puzzled by his behavior, and I was looking to see if he was truly a terrible person. But here's a little bit of context that turned out to be critical. His wife, my mother's mother, was still alive, but I hadn't been able to talk to her. The reason was that she had had a massive stroke, and half of her body was completely paralyzed. She was extremely weak, and the most she could do was offer me a flickering half-smile. So what did my grandfather do after I reminded him that Jesus was a Jew? Well, he sat down on a chair. He nodded at me thoughtfully. Then his eyes teared over. He told me that he wasn't a mean person, that he was just under a lot of stress, with his wife being so sick, and that he was very afraid he was going to lose her soon. 
That fear, he explained, had caused him to be hateful. He said that he knew that the girl at the ice cream stand was probably a very good person who was just trying to earn a little money in an honest way. I was indeed just a boy and had not yet lost any important person in my life. It was at that moment that I went through another transformation. The thought that my grandmother might die soon settled into my mind. I didn't know her, but she was my mother's mother. She might die. And as she sat there in front of me, my grandfather also asked Jesus Christ to forgive him and to help him start over with his relationship with his grandson. So a trip for some disgusting coffee ice cream taught me a lot. I learned about bigotry. I developed an appreciation for Jesus as both man and God. I grappled for the first time with the idea that people can lose other people and that this can be devastating. But the biggest outcome of this ice cream trip is that I saw my grandpa start a new life in Christ. He saw something in himself that he didn't at all like, and I witnessed something that would impact me for the rest of my life. My grandpa turned something evil into something blessed for his grandson.